Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm Stacey Hegarty, host of the podcast and chief operating officer for Envision Rise. Joining us today is author Elaine Beek. Elaine, welcome to the show. We're glad you could join us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It sounds like we're going to have fun. We're going to have a good time. And we're talking about one of my very favorite subjects, and that is training and development in the workplace. But before we get into all of that, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about yourself so that they can get to know you a bit? Okay. I uh, have a very unusual background. I lived on a dairy farm in Wisconsin for 40 years, the first 40 years of my life. Just before that, I decided to go back to school to finish my degree as an adult. And I went back to school to major in actuarial science because I was really good at math. And I needed a job. So I got this job as a trainer and I completely switched because I love, love, love training. It was just a natural. It was a job made in heaven. And so what happened is at one point after being there for a couple of years, my boss was retiring to a different job. He wasn't retiring. And so I applied for his job and I didn't get it because we were federally funded and he had a PhD and I didn't even have my bachelor's yet. So they said, well, we'll lose all our federal funding. We can't do that. So they said, but if you stick around for a year, train your new boss, train the two new trainers we have coming in, train the new assistant that we have coming in. We'll give you some time as a training consultant afterwards. We'll put you on And I said, oh, what a way to start my own business. So I did. So that's it. So I've been training for years. Maybe some of the highlights of my training are some of the things I got to do. I wrote McDonald's very first process improvement training program back in the 80s. I wrote the same process improvement program for the Newport New Shipbuilding Company. They design all of the Navy's nuclear subs and their carriers. I wrote the first creativity program for Hershey Chocolate as they were starting to think about what they needed to do to market. And then probably the biggest one is I probably did one of the world's first virtual training sessions for NASA in 1985. And they were so excited about they quote, beamed me up to all the other NASA centers. So (laughs) that's kind of my, my background. I've been in business now for many, many years. I'm a consultant, trainer, help organizations design training and and development for their people. So that's what I do. You have such a fascinating career path. I would guess you're probably the rare actuary who transitioned into training and being very people-facing that way. That's actuaries are brilliant people, but they're not known for being able to do what you do. I don't know. You know what? I've never met an actual actuary in my life. (laughs) What happened when I was in high school, I was winning all these math awards and, you know, you meet with your guidance counselor, right? And the guidance counselor said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'm going to be a beautician. He said, no way, no way with your math. And he said, you're going to go to college. And I said, well, what will I major in? He said, math, of course. And I said, I don't want to be a math teacher, right? I mean, that's the only thing that came to mind. So I remember him swirling around in this old wooden chair at his desk. And he reached in the back and he pulled off this turquoise colored book. And the book was careers in math. And I opened it up and they were in alphabetical order. And the first one was actuarial science. So I said, actuarial science. And you know what? I read, it was a one page description, two things. They made a lot of money. That's one thing. Second thing, and I was living on a little dairy farm in Wisconsin at the time. And the second thing is, I didn't know what it was. And if I didn't know what it was, nobody else would. So it'd be a great conversation starter. (laughs) And look at it. Crazy. 
Well, something that you didn't mention is that you are a very prolific author. You are working on your 89th book. And that is unheard of in almost any genre. So how did you begin writing? And what made you decide to go down that path to write dozens of books? Good question. And I love to talk about my writing. The first book that I ever wrote, well, I got into training. So therefore I started presenting at conferences about training topics. And at one of the conferences, I was presenting about TQM, process improvement. And the guy came up out of the audience afterwards, and he was from McGraw Hill. And he said, could you write that in a book? And I said, sure, why not? What the heck? And so I did. That was my first book. That was in the 1990s. So I didn't start out to be an author, although I can remember being in third grade, sitting on my bed and saying, I just want to write and live on an island. I haven't gotten the island yet, but I've gotten to write. But, but I really saw myself writing fiction. And now I tell all my clients, you be careful because you're going to be in one of my fiction books. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing about writers. Be careful what you say around them or you're going to end up as a character. <laughs> the thing is I've done no self-publishing. Publishers come to me. Editors come to me and ask me to write a book. And there's two reasons, I think. Number one, I'm a relatively good writer, but I'm not that good. If I were too good, editors wouldn't have a job, right? But right. the second thing is I've never missed a deadline in all, not a tiny deadline, not a big deadline. I've never missed a deadline. And the statistic that I've read is 98% of all authors miss big deadlines. Like they don't have the book ready to go to be published or to be edited. I've written for 14 different publishing houses. And one of my editors shared with me the name of somebody that you would know if I mentioned his name, who is two years behind in getting his book to them. Now, just think about what happens to that is it backs up the printing company. The printing company has laid out time. They've purchased paper. That's sitting there. The editors are without a job. I mean, they do shuffle things around and I understand, but wow. How inconsiderate, right? <laughs> I love that you talked about, you know, the way that that's kind of messing up other things. Our sister company is the Institute for Process Excellence. So we're all about process improvement and that when you make a change, miss a deadline, do something, it has a ripple effect through everything. So I'm really glad you brought that up. <laughs> I'll cut my teeth on process improvement. And I'll tell you, if anybody's listening and you don't understand process improvement, get a hold of Stacy right now, because it is the basis of every good thing that's happening up anywhere. It absolutely is, including the way that your culture impacts everything about your business. The process improvement is not just manufacturing. It's not just engineering. It's not just what the flow is like. It's everything. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'm so thankful that I really started with Newport News Shipbuilding. They gave me an opportunity to do that. And I mean, I'm so thankful for that because I learned it as I was designing it. It was wonderful. Great experience. I've had wonderful clients over the years. So. Oh, that's amazing. You've got lots of interests and you've written about lots of different things. What's your favorite topic to write about? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that question and I don't have a good answer for it. I can, okay. But I can tell you that the reason that I'm in business is I'm passionate about helping other people find their passion. So whatever that is, I can dig down into it. 
So what I'm passionate about then is being able to write something that is practical so that somebody else can use the book and read it. I am not a theoretical author at all. I mean, I lean on other people's theories, but I don't believe that that's what's most important. So if I can help someone, and also if I have the experience, if I don't have the experience, I'll turn the editor down as far as the book. I mean, because I don't want to do research. I read all my books in two weeks, by the way. So oh my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't be at this 89 level. So yeah. well, don't tell my boss that as I'm writing things, <laughs> he's going to start having an unrealistic expectation of what I can get done in two weeks. <laughs> Short articles are harder to write than a long book. A long yeah. book, you can just blather on forever, you know, and that's what they want is pages, right? So. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I'll remind him of that. <laughs> There's a Mark Twain quote that you might want to use with him. The Mark Twain wrote this very long letter to somebody in Washington, D.C., I believe. And the quote is, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> now, your book, The Art and Science of Training, was featured in our most recent Rise Reads, which we recommend books for people that we think will help them in their day-to-day -day career experience. And the response that we received was absolutely incredible. It was so positive and frankly, a little bit overwhelming for us because it was such a big bombastic response from people who have read your book, people who have read some of your other books, who have attended trainings. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about that book and we can really get into some of the highlights of it. Sure. That book, again, the ATD editor came to me and asked if I would write a book called the art and science of training. And at first I thought I was really excited about it. And then I kept thinking about it. I got scared. I mean, what the heck is art and science about anyway? I explained that in the book, so I'm not going to go into it, but it really does take a look at what happens in our brain that helps us learn. But then the other side of it is how do we as trainers or talent development professionals, how do we be creative to make sure that we make that connection to the person because we are absolutely all people. It's not just about the data and the information of the how-to, but we've got to have that people connection, which, I mean, we can talk about AI also because that's a whole new topic that's out there and scary in some part, in some ways, but very realistic and positive in other ways. So that's it. He came to me and asked me if I'd write it. So you know, after thinking about it for a while, I finally said yes. I, I'm not sure I've said no to any books. I don't know, Stacey. <laughs> Coming up on 90 books almost, I think maybe you haven't said no. <laughs> get to 100. So that's what it's basically about is how are you creative as a trainer? So it's written for trainers or wannabe trainers and helps them understand all of the things that are happening out there. And then really focuses in on what it is that they need to do to make sure that they're successful. Cause, cause the point isn't training. The point is learning. You mm -hmm. want folks in your group to learn so that they can implement uh, something else. I, th I think that's probably the biggest and important thing. And it, it's woven through all of the chapters. I think there's 13 chapters in the book. I don't remember. And sometimes I even forget the names of some of the books I wrote, you know, so, <laughs> I'll look not myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, training is one of those things when a company is worried financially, it's one of the first things that gets cut. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first things that employees 
say that they want, but it's also one of the things the employees complain about that I don't have time to go to this training. I didn't learn anything from it. It's just going to be the same old thing. And you know, I think as we've evolved into virtual training mm -hmm. and we've evolved into asynchronous online learning, that that has shaped the way people think about what the training experience is like. What advice would you have to so for someone who is a trainer or thinking of becoming a trainer that wants to do more than teach a particular process or, you know, in my line of work, there's lots of compliance training that needs to go on and people just sort of roll their eyes and click through it and go back to their day and nothing actually sticks. Well, I really think that you need to connect with the person that's learning and you've got to make it fun. And by fun, I don't mean laughing all the way around, but at least finding some way that you're going to be connecting to that person. Why should they learn this? If you're just saying it's compliance training and we have to do it, well, <laughs> yeah, the result that you're going to get is probably ho-hum, I'll just click through this. But if you can relate it to that person, why is it that that person needs it? And if you don't know, go out and interview some of the people that are getting it, getting the training or going to take part in the training and find out what is it that you need to know about this? How is it going to affect you? What do you have to do? And some of them may say, you know, nothing, but at least you're going to be out there trying. I think that's important. I think the other piece of what you were talking about is it's important to the company. If you have not figured out what learning and what training needs to take place in order to meet the company's goals, you've missed the mark completely. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of people just have these catalogs of training programs, you know, come to meeting management skills or come to communication. I mean, both of them are great topics and most of us probably need that, but how's it connected to me and how's it connected to the bottom line of the company? And I think if you can make that connection, that's helpful. There's an old quote out that's something about maybe you think that it's bad to train your employees because it costs so much money. And besides that, once you train them, they'll go someplace else. Well, what if you do train them and they stay? I mean, mm -hmm. think from that way. And again, I don't think that trainers have enough connection with the C-suite. So who's up there? What are they trying to accomplish? And then making sure that your training connects with that. And making them come into the training sessions and talk to people, whether it's a recording for online or whether it's in person in a classroom, let people ask you some questions for 10 minutes. I mean, all those things just make such a big difference. I get really excited when I go to a new company and I put all these ideas out there and they start going, oh, yeah, we can do that. That's exciting. Well, and I love what you say about the C-suite being involved. I think that is so critical to you know really any initiative you're going to have at any organization but when it comes to training it's so important that it's obvious that this is something that's important to senior leadership and that this is not a simply a okay we checked the box everybody took the sexual harassment training online and got their certificate and that certificate will go in their hr file and if we get sued we can say that well they should have known better because look right. <laughs> <laughs> they took the training. They should have known. Whereas when it's someone from senior leadership, and like you said, it doesn't, they don't need to spend all day in the training. Even if it's 10 minutes of, we're glad you're here. We hope you stay engaged. And here is why. 
that makes such a big difference in people's mindsets and in how committed they are to really paying attention during the training. That's right. Now, I love what you say about, it's not so much about being trained, but much more about learning. And adults struggle with that. I'm not sure what happens to us when we get out of high school or if we all, if we go on to higher education, but at some point our brains stop feeling like learning is something that we do. It's, you know, yes, I'll learn a task. Yes, I'll learn this new CRM, but that really expansive learning that needs to take place in some kinds of training, we kind of lose that a little bit. And do you have any guidance for adult learners who are about to embark on something that's not, well, this is how you make a pivot table in Excel? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I guess I'm going to back up just a little bit. Have you heard of the 70-20-10 rule? Yes. Okay, so it it was verified by the Center for Creative Leadership in North Carolina back in the 70s or maybe even the 60s. I'm not sure, but lots of people have done research and maybe the numbers aren't exactly the same, 70, 20, 10. I don't care about that at all. The bottom line is 70% of what we are learning, we are learning on the job. So we are learning all the time. 20% of what we learn, we learn from other people. And then just that 10% is in the classroom. And Mm -hmm. so what I would like to say is when you think about that, don't just think about the 10% you as the learner are going to go into the classroom, back it up. Think about how you could prepare yourself before you go in there. What's giving you trouble? What questions do you need answered? So that's part of the job. And then what we learn from other people It would be, who else could help me with this? Who could I pair up with? Who could I talk to before and after? How should I get my boss involved in this? All of those things. So if you think about that 70, 20, 10, don't just think about the 10% I'm going to spend four hours in the classroom learning how to do this, but also think about how you're going to use it afterwards, how it's going to make your life easier or better. And if it's going to make your life more miserable, then you need to have a conversation with your boss about that. The most important person in development is your boss because they can hook you up with mentors. Uh, They can be a mentor themselves or a coach to you. They can provide you with additional resources. They can find another, they can find projects for you where you can practice these skills. I mean, that is such an important element of learning. So did I answer your question? I, I, I tend to bounce around. I'm sorry. I, That's all right. I like those kinds of conversations because it leads us into other interesting topics. What about the folks who, and we all worked with people like this, that no matter what the training is, they are certain that it's going to be terrible and they don't need it and their time would be better spent working on whatever project or task they have in front of them. What advice do you have for whether it's trainers or that person's supervisor, you know, whoever's taking the brunt of this resistance, Mm -hmm. what advice do you have? Well, some of the same things that I talked about earlier, and that is trying to figure out why. My very first job was when I was 16 and I was a waitress in a restaurant that was for tourists and the tourists were, many of them were campers. So on rainy days, they would come in for breakfast, really angry because it was raining out right Mm -hmm. and so the wait staff we all had a goal of turning people around we wanted to have them leave happy they had to have a smile on their face at least once while we were serving them that's my goal as a trainer too 
And so if I have someone in the room, in my room, in person, or if it's online, you know, and they're sitting there with their arms crossed and they've got this ugly look on their face, like, you know, I don't want to be here, or they're looking at their phone the entire time, I'll pull them out early on and just ask what's going on. What can I do differently? And I take all the responsibility on myself. I don't say, what are you doing? Why are you, you know? And usually they turn around because they're embarrassed because they're adults and that, and I'm wanting to help them. So that's one thing. Second thing is if this is a reoccurring person, I think that I would sit down with the person's boss and that person and just talk about, okay, so, you know, what are your goals in life? future participant. What do you really want to do? Okay, so maybe he hates his job. Maybe there's something or she hates her job and they're in the wrong place. Don't take it out on the trainer. <laughs> Let's figure out how to make this work for you. It takes extra time. And I know trainers sometimes are working in very small departments and they don't think they have the time, but I really believe every person, every soul in the organization is worthy of identifying what it is that's going to help them. So starting, going back to that 70, 20, 10, some of those same questions, but then also just trying to get to the basis of that person. What is it that is really important to you? Where do you want to go in life? So I love that because making connections with people means having these hard conversations that, yes, we would all love it if we walked into a room to conduct a training and everybody was so excited to be there, but mm -hmm. that's so rarely, that's not realistic. And I don't say this lightly, having the courage to have that conversation with someone who is putting up all kinds of resistance to you, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, it's not an easy thing to do because it definitely can feel personal. What yeah. would you say to someone who's just starting off as a trainer or is getting ready to conduct their first training that would help get them in a good mindset for not only conveying the content in a way that is able to be processed by the learner, mm -hmm. but in order to engage with all sorts of people in that training space, what advice would you have for somebody new at the job? Well, first of all, I love the word, the fact that you mentioned the word mindset, because I think mindset is Carol Dweck's work and she's done just a magnificent job. So if you haven't read any of Carol Dweck's work, I suggest you grab that because it says that if we believe we can, we will. But if we're afraid or if we think we're not going to be able to do it, then we probably won't be as successful at learning as we possibly can. And Gosh, I've taken her theory. She'd probably cringe if she heard me use that. But basically, that's what it's about. And so I would make sure that they've watched some good trainers. And I don't mean just the person who's in your department, because quite honestly, a lot of people don't have good role models. And so the first thing would be to go and watch somebody take some notes, attend a session that ATD, ATD provides lots of training certificate programs that last anywhere from a day to three days. Go take one of those. Those trainers are vetted. They know what they're supposed to do. They have taken tests. They've been reviewed. They don't get paid very much money. I do some of this and I've written some of the training programs, some of the certificate programs, but they know what they're doing. So watch what they're doing and then just practice. Mm -hmm. practice, practice. I remember when I first got started that you were supposed to, the goal, the guideline was invest 10 times the amount of time in planning and preparing 
as you're on stage. So if you're going to be in the room presenting for six hours, then you should spend 60 hours preparing. Now that sounds like overkill, but I still do that. I still spend hours and hours preparing before I deliver training. By the way, I was going to mention, I just had a class, a leadership development class. All of these leaders had hotshot titles like director and VP and all of that. And there were 20 of them. They were sent by their company. And most of them came in with the crossed arms <laughs> going to be able to teach me. And so we opened it up with what is it that you think you want to learn and started the conversation. What is it that's hard for you? What's easy for you? What could you teach other people in this course? And what do you want to learn from the other people that are in this course? Not just me. I'm just the facilitator up in the front. It turned out, I kid you not, we had at least 19 of those 20 who said this is the best training they've ever taken. And it wasn't me. It was them. They mm -hmm. came around and got excited about it. But New trainers can have that and they should never apologize, by the way. Don't get up and say, oh, I'm so nervous. This is my first time. Do not say that. <laughs> Everybody will be saying, let's look for some nervousness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and chances are, once you get going, that nervousness is going to go away, especially right. if you've done the preparation like you've mentioned. That's right. And the other thing is, what's your thing that's going to help you get through it? Mine is a glass of water. I always have a glass of water in front of me. And so for new trainers, I always tell them that too. If you forget what you were going to say, reach down, take a swallow of water. Your brain will immediately click into gear and you'll, and everybody expects speakers and trainers to drink water, right? So, yeah. No one's going to realize that you're taking a brain break while you're doing this. <laughs> Well, Elaine Beek, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm sure our listeners have gotten a lot out of it. Where can people find you, connect with you, find your books, all those things? Probably the best way is to just connect with me through LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to answer questions. My books are all on Amazon, every single one of them. And when I first publish a book, I usually buy anywhere from 15 to 100 extra ones. By the way, there's this rumor out there that authors get free books. We don't. We do not get free books. But I usually buy 50 to, to 100. And then if I'm helping somebody to get into the field or whatever the book happens to be about, I'll send them a book and let them communicate with me about their passion and whatever. So that's probably the best thing. I appreciate your generosity in sharing your knowledge with us. And we'd love to have you come back, especially when the new book is ready to go and we can talk about the new book. All right. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was so much fun, Stacey. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it as well. And for our listeners, if you'd like more information on Envision Rise, you can find us at EnvisionRise.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.